0: Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has wrought through me to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit so that from Jerusalem and as far around as Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, thus making it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on another man's foundation. But, as it is written, they shall see who have never been told of him, and they shall understand who have never heard of him. All oh, the wisdom and knowledge of God, his ways are past finding out. The word ambition has a, an unchristian ring to it, doesn't it? And well, it should, because often it may stand for an unchecked, overweening desire for fame and glory, for wealth and comfort, And the Christian does well to examine that word ambition and look very carefully at it. And perhaps among us, as the community of faith, ambition has had a low rating on our spiritual scale. We often are marked more by complacency and ease and comfort and peace than we are by ambition. It's not a word often found in a Christian group. But here, it is found in this paragraph, because in this section, the Apostle Paul, perhaps more than any other part of his writings, unfolds the inner nature of his ministry. And almost incidentally, if that were possible, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives to us some clues as to his own character and his motives, which are not spelled out in any other part of the Word of God. And this often neglected, rather obscure part of the book of Romans unfolds to us the ambition of the Apostle Paul. There are three parts in his letters that speak of his holy ambitions. In 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, he says, I have an ambition to be found acceptable to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That was an ambition. Again, in another place, he says, I have an ambition to live a simple, consistent, quiet Christian life in ordinary living. He hardly did that, did he? But that was his ambition to lead a simple, quiet, consistent, ordinary Christian life. What an ambition. And here's the third one. I make it my ambition. He says, to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on another man's foundation. I want to preach Christ where nobody knows the name. That's the third ambition. Now if we believe, as we do, that the Apostle Paul is a model of Christian character... He is not perfect. He is a sinner as we are. But after the character of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Scriptures, the Apostle Paul is a character given to us by God to be imitated. For he said, follow me. Do as I do. Imitate me under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so if Paul found ambition to be holy and right, So do we. There is an ambition that honors Christ. Now, what are the elements of that ambition? I want to suggest them from this paragraph. Well, there is an ambition in the Apostle Paul to render up acceptable sacrifices to God. And here he sees himself standing before the altar of God and it is his task to be making sacrifices. He calls himself a priestly minister, a minister in the priesthood of the gospel of God. Now that sounds strange to our Protestant ears, doesn't it? Paul, a priest? Christ is our priest. And the New Testament knows nothing of any human being offering up sacrifices. After once that blood was spilt on the hill of Calvary. No one can add a drop of sacrifice to that. There is no longer any order of priesthood, save the whole church has been ordained, for ye are a royal priesthood. Yet Paul sees himself here in priestly ministry. And what does he mean? He's using that as a figure, not to add to what Christ did, not to re-sacrifice his flesh and blood. But he is saying, I stand before the altar of God and I preach the gospel to men so that they may offer themselves as living sacrifices to God. That's my sacrifice. The souls, particularly of the Gentiles, That was his special focus of ministry. And my ambition is that the Gentiles will offer themselves to God as a sweet-smelling sacrifice, as they offer them their own hearts to the Lord. That was his ambition. They would be sanctified, he says, by the Spirit. It's not something that he talks them into. It's not any work that he does in his own strength. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that cleanses and motivates them to offer themselves. And they will be marked, he says here, by the three great qualities of a true church. They will be marked by goodness. They'll be marked by knowledge. And they'll be marked by the ability to instruct one another. Every true church has these. Goodness, which does not have knowledge, cannot help another. But knowledge without love and goodness is only puffed up and goes nowhere. So these are the three things that must go together to form a true Gentile church. Goodness, which is Christian love. Knowledge which is a firm grasp on what faith means and the ability to instruct one another in love. And I have seen all three of these in you. I have seen the goodness of the Lord as you care earnestly and deeply for one another. And I have seen you grow and dig in knowledge. Until this morning as I looked out upon you, I said to God, here are a people well taught. They know what they believe and why. Hallelujah. And I have seen you take that knowledge and help one another, not keeping it to puff yourself up in pride, but investing it in the lives and in the character of one another. There then was Paul's, great ambition. Now that ambition is yours. Now you're not going to offer up the whole Gentile nation, that's not your calling to be an apostle as it was Paul's. But you can begin with yourself in the spirit of Romans 12, chapter 1, verse 1, where it says that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. The reason Paul's ambition was fulfilled was that his entire life was placed at the disposal of God. And young man or young woman, if you will place your whole life on the altar of God as a living sacrifice, utterly at his disposal, to do with you whatever he will, that is offering up an acceptable sacrifice unto him. Your prayers of intercession are acceptable sacrifices that go up. As you lift each other up before the throne of grace, what an ambition to hold up the people of God in prayer. One reason God's work is so faint and ineffective is that so few are lifting up her hands and bolstering her flanks with intercessory prayer. Yet we are called to do it. And you may have this ambition. I call you to it. Aspire to so live and work with others that they will be led to offer themselves to God as living sacrifices. And that can be your ambition modeled upon and patterned after the ambition of the Apostle Paul. Now there's a second element of this holy ambition. What a rare virtue it is to see ambition in the Christian community. The second element is that Paul has an ambition to be proud of his work for God. I don't want to be ashamed of my work for God. And so he says here in verse 17, In Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now that is a most unusual statement. I remember when I was in college, my my Bible teacher had a problem with the Apostle Paul. She said, I, I like most of the things that he taught, but... Uh, I think he was boastful. He never learned humility. And that sent me back to my Bible and my books in a hurry and to my knees, of course. But it was verses like this that stumbled, my dear friend. In Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. But, friends, may I say to you that I don't see in that one stitch of pride I find it in sincere harmony with that deep and personal, beautiful humility which we found in the Apostle Paul. How could any man who saw the greatness and sovereignty of God so thoroughly have any room for pride in his life? To be proud with a theology like Paul had would be ridiculous and irrelevant and impossible. No, there's some other explanation for this. It is not pride, but it is this holy ambition that wants the work of God to so exalt Christ that it must be done with excellence, with glory, and with honor. And too many of the servants of God aspire only to mediocrity and will not have for themselves the holy ambition that says... I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, it cannot stop there, because the passage moves on to develop the, the, the inner workings of the pride of the Apostle Paul. His pride lay in this, that it was not his work, but Christ's work through him. That's what he gloried in. It is the work of Christ I don't think he could have said this if he thought it had been his work, something humanly engineered, some polished, persuasive, professional speaker coming in and mesmerizing the group. No, that wasn't it. This was the work of the King of Heaven who by His Spirit so anointed the preaching of Paul that he was enabled to do his work with effectiveness And with power, it was not his work. Ultimately, it was Christ's work. And that's why he could say, I can be proud. I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Not of my work alone, but of the work of Christ, which I saw done in me. And he goes on to to develop that, to say that the reason that he is proud in this sense is that the work was done through him. He does not, does not boast in the works that are done through others. He's not the only one through whom God is working. But the place he boasts is in the fact that the Almighty God, who works through angels and through nature and through his Word and his Spirit, condescended so low as to do his work through the chief of sinners, the one who is the least of all the saints, that represents some kind of astounding miracle, that the Almighty God can be at work through me. And so he would not boast unless it was Christ's work, and he would not boast unless it had been Christ's work through him. That's what gives him the privilege to boast, not any virtue or industry of his own, but the utter excitement of knowing that God was working in him. You remember he wrote to the Corinthians and said, I was with you in much fear and trembling. And the reason he trembled was that he knew God was working through him. That would make you tremble, doesn't it? When you see the hand of God at work in your life. Now, is this holy ambition of Paul's beginning to take shape in your mind? A desire not to be ashamed, but rather to be proud of his work for God because it was the work of Christ and because it was being done through such a frail and unlikely servant as himself that he aspired and had the ambition to do this work with all his might and strength, that at the last day he could be proud of what he had done in his work for God. That's a holy ambition. That is not a prideful one. In heaven, my Bible teacher and I are going to have this one out, and I think by that time she will see the light. but let's take one other element of the ambition of the Apostle Paul. And this is really the heart of his ambition expressed in this passage. He says it here in, the last, in verse 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on another man's foundation." Here, Paul made as his ambition to serve Christ fully, even and especially at great cost. Now, let me repeat that, because that's a well-chiseled sentence designed to say what I think this sentence says. His ambition was to serve Christ fully, even and especially at great cost. Now, what does that have to do with regions where Christ had never been named? Well, now imagine a city where the name of Christ was not even known, a place like Corinth when Paul got there, one of the wickedest cities in human history. And here comes this Jew beginning to preach, the gospel of Christ. Who is this Christ? Do you think that was an honorable thing? Do you think men put him up in a beautiful pulpit and put a lovely robe on him and took up an offering for him? Do you think men sh- shook hands with him afterwards and thanked him for his message? No. He said, we are the offscouring of the world, the refuse of the world. We were like garbage in Corinth. We were held in derision. We were laughed at. We were the scum of the earth to those people. You see, where Christ has never been named, the gospel meets its greatest challenge, and it is its greatest offense, and Satan rears up its head and seeks to defend its territory against the inroads of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, there where the battle is hottest and the work is the hardest, there I want to serve Christ fully because the cost is the highest there than anywhere. After the people have had the gospel preached for a while, the atmosphere changes and the gospel begins to be welcomed and received. And I am robbed then of having the joy of preaching with a great reproach being given to me. Paul is saying, I just love the idea of bringing the greatest possible benefit to human life and receiving in return reproach. So, Make it my ambition to preach where Christ has never been named because there it cost me more than any other place. Well, why does he want it to cost him more? Because, you see, Paul has a sensitive conscience and he loves to enrich and fortify this conscience. He said, I make it my desire to have the testimony of a good conscience. And the way a man enriches his conscience is by the faithful performance of his duty to God. That's how you get a good and a rich conscience. A rich conscience isn't simply avoiding doing wrong things. If you want to enrich your conscience, you go out and begin to find things in which you can obey God richly. You see, a man's conscience either shames him or honors him. And it was the ambition of Paul to have his conscience honor him. And there's no greater way to have your conscience honor you than to serve others out of love. And that's what he did. And so if he could pick out the hardest, most expensive place, the costliest site For preaching the name of Christ, that's where I want to be. I make it my ambition to preach where he has never been named. Now, friend, this word ambition means to strive mightily. It means to make it your aim. It isn't some little wishful thought, some sentimental aspiration, To make something your ambition is to go after it with all your might. And around us, there are virgin territories. Segments of life where no one is proclaiming the blessed Redeemer's loving name. There are men and women in this city for whose souls no one cares. In your office, on your block, there are places where the name of Christ is not being named. The cost will be great. But I say to you, what a lofty ambition that I may serve Christ fully, even and especially at great cost. William Carey, a young British man, had a holy ambition. He saw the fields of the missionary areas of the world untouched for Christ. And for years in England, he gathered data about them, studied his scriptures and prayed, and drew around himself a band of men and women who would be interested and supportive of a missionary movement. What an ambition seized Carey. Listen to what his biographer says of his ambition. Nothing could cool it, not the busyness of his crowded days, not the widening range of his town ministry, not the urgencies of English programs of reform, nor the growing prosperity of his church. In Leicester, as in Moulton, the cry of the heathen continents and islands haunted his spirit. Indeed, Leicester's 13,000 made more vivid and poignant the distress of the world's hundreds of millions. So in the year 1793... William Carey preached his deathless sermon in which he closed with these great words, Lengthen the cords, strengthen the stakes, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. You see, Carey had an ambition that the world should offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And out of that ambition grew the whole modern missionary movement. Friend, what is your ambition in Christ? Do you have one? Have you found that particular calling, that sense of ministry which Christ has for you? He'll unfold it to you if you utterly yield yourself for His leading and if you long to have a holy ambition in His name. It will be marked with these same three characteristics. The offering up of, of sacrifices acceptable to God. The desire to have one's work to be proud of one's work in God's presence and to serve Christ fully, even and especially, at great cost. It is not wrong to aspire to be great in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, unless you do, you won't be. Jesus talked about they that would be great in the kingdom of heaven. This is a godly ambition Don't settle for mediocrity in Christ. Settle for nothing less than that which will draw the words of the Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let us pray together. In the quiet of these moments some have been searching for a goal for which to live and nothing seemed great and significant enough to capture their imaginations and their hearts. Young friend, I set before you tonight the ambition of the model Christian to offer up acceptable sacrifices to be proud of one's work and to serve Christ fully and at great cost will you make this your ambition and praying God to harness and direct that ambition into the channels of service that he has planned for you will you do that young friend our father we confess that our ambitions and aspirations have been low in the kingdom of heaven we have settled for less than the best and we have not served fully and expensively for thee but we would do so now Take us out of our lethargy and bring us into thy light. Help us like Carrie to expect great things from God and to attempt great things for God. In the name of Christ our Savior, amen.